so thankful for the, the very um, heartfelt, real worship that we receive here, meaningful, spirit-led, and biblical truth-driven worship that we have here. It's just, we're so blessed in that way. Are you guys okay? I almost didn't know if anyone would show up this week <laughs> after last Sunday. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm just going to jump in right where I left off, and I'm going to just um, get serious right away, if that's okay with you, because um, last week, while we were discussing the destructive nature of our woke slash cancel culture that's permeating our society, evil did not sleep. Evil was at work while we were discussing evil being at work and the lawlessness increasing in our society. Lawlessness increased last weekend. Ten people, while we were doing church, ten people were killed at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. One person was killed and five people injured at a church in Laguna Woods, California. Interesting story. Um, when the 68-year-old shooter walked into church that day, he was a visitor. And he walked in and he greeted the people and they greeted him, the small congregation of senior citizens. And he walked in amongst them as a worshiper and worshiped all morning with them and waited until their lunch that they were celebrating the return of their pastor, their old pastor who was coming back for a special visit. And so they had a luncheon, and it was during that luncheon that he decided to get out his gun and begin to shoot people. When he paused to load his gun, the former pastor picked up a chair and hit him with the chair, and the rest of the congregation tackled him and hogtied him. And they said, had they not thought quickly enough to do that, he would have just gone another round of shooting and killing. Right here in our backyard is Chicago. You do know Chicago's only two and a half hours away, right? I mean, we hear so much about Chicago, but we live in Chicagoland. I mean, we are there. So right in our backyard, five people were killed and 29 injured in shootings over the weekend. That's a big deal, you guys. In fact, hear this news. Just in the month of May, all right, just in the month of May, there have been 33 mass shootings in the United States. Now, they define a mass shooting as four or more people killed in a single incident, not counting the shooter. Let that sink in a minute as we consider the lawlessness increasing that Jesus said would happen in the end times. In the month of May alone, there were 33 mass shootings in our country. Does that shock you? That's horrible. Oh, and let's not forget the nationwide pro-abortion demonstrations that took place last weekend, to last Sunday, to protest the possibility of overturning 
Roe versus Wade. Because if they overturn Roe versus Wade, this horrible thing that has cost the lives of millions of unborn babies over the years. I mean, heaven forbid that we make it harder to kill children instead of easier to kill children. Am I okay to say that? You know who Gavin Newsom is? If you don't, he's the governor of California. Um, He's formed what is called the Future of Abortion Council. And he formed this council in an effort to turn California into a sanctuary state for what they're calling perinatal death. This council has introduced a bill before the legislatures um, in California, Bill AB 2233, which provides a civil and criminal shield around a mother or anyone who aids or assists her in the killing of her baby up to 28 days after the baby's birth. Your reaction is the same as mine when I heard that. I'm like, that can't be true. And so I looked it up. This bill, if it passes, will make provision not only for the mother to kill, decide, and the doctors aiding her to decide to kill that child up to a one-month-old to take its life, but it will also protect her in a way that allows her, it will make provision for her to sue whatever police officer or police department who tries to investigate or arrest her for the killing or the murder of a child. I am so conflicted, you guys, because I am so, um, I'll I'll talk to you about it later. Next month, the Supreme Court's gonna make a ruling on Roe versus Wade, and if they overturn Roe versus Wade, write it down, our nation is going to explode. They're already predicting it. Of course, they set this, this table for it in the summer of love, right? The summer of 2020, when they allowed rioters to riot and burn down and kill people and wound people and abuse police officers and everything else that they did during that summer without consequence. So, of course, the stage is set. Satan is moving. He's on the move. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, all of these things are the beginning of the birth pains. Many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. I'm very glad that the Lord gave us his word and explains to us what we are going to experience and how we should live, but just because Jesus told us that all that would happen doesn't make it any easier for me to swallow. 
the fact that we are going to live through these darkest days known to mankind that Jesus prophesied was going to happen, the fact that we are beginning to see, we're seeing the birth pains of it getting a whole lot worse. This is just the warm-up, you guys. This is just the beginning of what we're seeing today. And sometimes my mind says, how can it get any worse? It can't get any worse. We can't get any more depraved. And yet Jesus says it will. And we have to live through it. This is our new reality. As in the days of old, every man, every woman, every child are doing what is right in their own eyes. That is our new reality. That is what we have to live with. You don't want me to say that. I know. I know. You want me to be the guy who stands up here and says, hey, let's talk about angels and halos, and let's talk about fun things that in the kingdom of heaven. You don't want me to tell you that things aren't going to get better. And I wish I didn't have to tell you that. I don't want to live through the bad stuff. I don't want you to have to. I don't want any of us to go through persecution and the hatred of the world. I don't, that's not fun. Nobody signs up for that. In fact, if you, if you want to invite that onto yourself, there's something wrong with you. That's not how we're designed. That's not how we're built. And yet it is my responsibility, my friends, to point these things out to you so that we know how to live because that's the question we're gonna answer today. So how do we live in this darkness, this increasing darkness? How do we live in this increasing wickedness? How do we live in a time that is just, just the beginning of the bad stuff? We're just in the warm-up, birth pain. Wait till the delivery. Of course, I believe we're in heaven during the delivery, but it's getting worse and worse. That's what we're gonna, we're gonna answer the question, what do we do about it, and how do we live? That's what I'm gonna attempt to answer today for you. But let me start here, it was in the year 1630. Anybody remember those years? <laughs> it was in the year 1630, while on a ship heading for Massachusetts, that a Puritan preacher named John Winthrop said this in a sermon titled, A Model of Christian Charity. This is what he said in his sermon on the ship. We must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. Now he's talking about them going to the new world and establishing a new government and a new people and a new nation. The eyes of all people are upon us so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken and so cause him to withdraw his help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword through the world. I don't know if you see the prophetic truth in that statement that I do. But you know Ronald Reagan, one of our greatest presidents of all time, 
he picked up on this vision of a city upon a hill and related it to America, and he had a vision for America, and he described it when he said, in my mind, it is a tall, proud city built on rocks stronger than oceans, windswept, God-blessed, and teeming with people of all kinds, living in harmony and peace, a city with free ports that hum with commerce and creativity, and if there has to be city walls, the walls have doors, and the doors are open to anyone with the will and the heart to get here. Don't you love statements like that? I just love Reagan's quotes, and, and yet Winthrop was not referring to America as a nation when he was describing in his sermon what they were going to encounter when they came here. He was describing and referring to Americans as Christians and was referencing the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter five. I'm gonna invite you to turn to Matthew chapter five with me. Matthew chapter five. This is part of the great Sermon on the Mount and it is the short answer to the question, what should we as Christians do about everything we're seeing and how should we live in this prophetic decline of humanity that we find ourselves in right now. And this is what Jesus says, Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. Okay, now let me just pause and say, who's he talking to? He's talking to his followers, those who know him, and he's talking to us today, those of us who have been redeemed by his blood, those of us who have been reborn, those of us who know him and hold his Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. He looks at us today and he says to us, you are the light of the world. And now he's gonna describe that light. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, they place it on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, you got it? You hear what's coming? In the same way as that city is on the hill shining its light, the same way that no one puts their light under a basket, but they put it on a stand so we can light the whole room. Let your light shine out for all to see so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus tells us we are supposed to be doing as we live in the world of darkness. Now, Let's flip over, take your Bibles and go to the right and go to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. It is a letter written to the church at Ephesus, these Gentile believers now. This is a brand new church and Paul is writing to them and let's hear what he says about this subject because as children of God, we must, and I have on your first notes there, we must live in the light. That's what we need to do as Christians in our dark world. Live in the light. And Paul says in Ephesians 4, 17, live no longer as the Gentiles do. Now, I've got to stop here now and just say, what can we assume in this statement? We can assume that we used to live like the Gentiles do. That's where we all were before we came to Christ. We were all 
in a situation and in a circumstance like he's going to describe here before we came to Christ. And Paul is saying to these brand new believers, stop living, don't live any longer like the Gentiles do because, here we go, they are hopelessly confused. Has anybody but me asked the question over and over and over again of late, have we lost our minds? Is there no more common sense in our world? People are making decisions and some of them are making decisions and are in positions to make decisions for us that make absolutely no human sense. You know, All you have to do if you want to figure out what's going on in your world is just go to the Bible and open it up. Because here's what Jesus says, or here's what Paul says. The Gentiles are hopelessly confused. They are, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. We get that, right? You can see that, right? Right? Are you seeing that in our world? We see it right before our eyes. The things I've been describing last week and this week already in this sermon, this is what this is describing. Jump to chapter 5 verse really quick, verse 7. Chapter 5, verse 7. Paul says, So don't participate in the things these people do. Once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. Listen, my friends, don't forget that you you, you once were in darkness. Don't forget the place you were when Jesus saved you. Helpless, hopeless, your mind was in darkness, You were confused, you had no shame, you were lost in your sin. And Jesus came along and opened your eyes to the truth and saved you. Somebody say, praise the Lord for that. Where would we be without him? And Paul reminds these Ephesians that have just come to Christ that you were once full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so don't participate in the things these people participate in. Live as people of light. There it is, my friends. There's the answer to living in the darkness. Live in the light. This light within you produces only what is good, right, and true. Our lives are supposed to look and have be bearing fruit of righteousness and goodness and truth at every level. Man, I loved it when Eric preached a couple of weeks ago and he said, you know what we tend to do? We tend to compartmentalize our lives. We have a church compartment, we have a school compartment, we have a home compartment, we have a work compartment, we have a businessman compartment. And we think, you know, I can be a different person in all these different, no, you cannot be, not as a Christian. The fruit of a Christian walking in the light is righteousness and goodness and truth that permeates every aspect of our lives. That's how we know who the believers are. So carefully, verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, instead, are you listening? Is everybody with me? 
Here it is, expose them. Two things going on here, Paul says. First of all, know how to live. He says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Find out, figure out what God expects from you and how you should live. That's why we're meeting today. That's why we meet every week. That's why we do all the things that we do to equip you and to equip me to love God more and to love people more so that we can influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing here today, trying to figure out what does the Lord want from us? What does the Lord expect from us? How can we live to glorify him? And then we're supposed to be people who every single morning we get up and put our feet on the floor and we say to God and we declare to him and we declare to ourselves and we declare to our families, I'm gonna please the Lord in everything I do today. I'm gonna make it my goal, knowing that I'm weak, knowing that I'm broken, knowing that I'm probably gonna fail, but that's my my goal every day. I'm going to please God because I know what he expects from me. And then I'm going to forsake my propensity to walk in the darkness that I give, that I was saved out of. I'm going to, I'm going to resist the temptation to get sucked back into that and do everything I can. And when you put those two things together, knowing what God expects and your will to not go back to the old ways of living, you will do things in your life that will expose the darkness. You won't just expose the darkness, the scripture says you will drive it out. This is how the Holy Spirit works in the world today and holds back the evil from just completely taking over. There is hope for the world in the darkness, in the increasing darkness. In the increasing decline of humanity, there is hope in the world. You know what the hope is? The church of Jesus Christ. As long as we're still, we're here, we're still shining light. And as long as we shine our light, the darkness has to flee. You do know that, right? Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. It will never prevail as long as we're shining our light and living in the light. Look at verse 13 of Ephesians 5. But their evil intentions, they will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That's why we need to live in the light. Look at verse 15. So be very careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, which is our next thing that we need to do as believers in this dark world is we need to walk in wisdom. It's not easy to do. You know what else Jesus said about the day in which we live? Um, jump over to Matthew 10 real quick. Jump over to Matthew 10, verse 16. I want to show you something here. <laughs> uh, you're going to be like, man, Phil, you're just so full of encouragement. <laughs> Matthew 10, 16. I'm setting you up, okay, but Jesus was too, so I'm going to blame it on Jesus. So 10, 16, Jesus says this. He says to his disciples, look, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, thank you very much, Jesus. You know what I'd rather hear him say to me as his disciple? I'm sending you out as a lion amongst the wolves. Lions kill wolves. Wolves kill sheep. And what he's saying to them is, I am sending you out as sheep among the wolves. 
I'm sending you into the wolves' den. <laughs> Why? Did you know that Jesus prayed for us in the garden? And when he prayed for us, he prayed for us. This is so, it is such a cool thing. I can never get over that thought that while Jesus was in the garden, he looked down into time and he prayed for this group right here. These believers, all the believers living in this time today, and this is what he prayed to his heavenly father. Father, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. I just ask you to protect them from the attack of the evil one. No. I wish he would have just said, as soon as it gets hard, just take them out of the world. But that's not what he did. And Jesus is saying to us as his disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves. Into the realm of the wolves you go. So, the very next words in that verse, verse 16, he says, so, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Walk in wisdom, my people, because I'm sending you out into danger. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the practical application of truth. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do and the right thing to say at the right time and in the right way. Can I say that one more time? Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do and the right thing to say at the right time and in the right way. Here's what I want you to write down. I came across this definition as I was studying this this week and I thought it was so awesome. Wisdom is discovering the best means to accomplish the highest goals. That's what wisdom is. So as we walk in darkness, we are to be people of wisdom and we need to walk in wisdom knowing what to say and how to say it at the right time and in the right way, discovering the best means to accomplish the highest goals. I read this in my study on serpents and doves. Wisdom and innocence, cunning and gentleness are handmaids of discretion. That is very rich. Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so let the truth dwell in you richly with all wisdom, he said. Let your speech be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And my friends, when we approach the darkness, this is where it gets really hard for me. I kind of poked a hornet's nest last week. And I got a lot of responses. <laughs> and I got a lot of, uh, a, a lot, I was overwhelmed with positive responses that we need to preach the truth, and we do. But I had a couple of courageous individuals that um, lovingly rebuked me for my tone. So I went back and watched my sermon and I made myself cringe a couple of times as I watched it. Can I just talk about, can I talk about that for a minute? Um, I'm asking the Lord 
what to say because here's, here's what I want you to hear loud and clear. I do not apologize for anything that I spoke about when it came to truth and it came to the real stuff that's happening in our world, okay? I'm, I'm not apologizing at all for that, at all. But I get all wound up about this stuff. And one, one person spoke to me very lovingly and said, um, you just sounded angry. And tone matters. And um, I am angry. I am. But it's a mistake. And hear me, hear me. It is a mistake to come across angry with people when you're angry with what's happening. My anger is against Satan, and it's okay to be angry against Satan. My anger is against Satan and all the wickedness in the world. You know, I struggle every single day with some stuff that has happened in our world, in my life, in my family, and I still have a lot of rage inside of me about what has happened but not so much anymore against the people that did the things that they did as much as the evil that is behind what is happening. And so when I get passionate and when I get angry and I get upset, it's not against people, and you need to hear that. My problem is that in my passionate delivery of this, I get snarky and I get sarcastic. And that's where I think it goes south. And I actually think I lose some credibility on that. Because when I get to that point, and that's what I observed when I looked at myself and I watched what was happening. When I get to that point, I turn this pulpit into like a soapbox for my feelings on how I feel about everything. And I'm going to get sarcastic about stuff. And I'm going to call things names. And I'm going to... I was talking to one of my brothers about this this week, and he was, I was, we were just talking through it, and he goes, well, you know, you, when you call a woman, a woman chick in your, in your message, it's probably not a good thing. <laughs> and I said, I didn't do that. And he goes, oh, yeah, you did. I said, I said, no. I said, I said, get over yourself, sweetheart. I know I said that. I said, but I didn't call her a chick. He goes, yeah, you did. So I went back and watched the service. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and he said, all that sounds is that you're a chauvinist, you're a misogynist. You're, you know, they can call you all kinds of things when you say those kinds of things. It might be better to lay off the sarcasm and just stick to the truth. Now, let me just say this, that you feel like family to me. Well, you are family to me. You are. You're my family. And you know how it is. You know, they have a bad day at work and something's not going right. And you come home, you kind of unload on your wife or you kind of unload on your husband. And, and I, there are so many times I've come home and I've been upset about something and I'm just going off, you know, and I'm just telling Robin about it. And she's like, Phil, calm down. You're not being spiritual right now. <laughs> you know, you can't talk to people like that. I go, babe, I'm not talking to people like that. I'm talking to you. I'm just unloading. When I get to work, I'll be like, okay, now let's deal with this calmly. You know, are you relating with me? That's kind of how it is, and that's kind of how I feel with you sometimes. But my brother who was talking to me, he said, yeah, but you're like live streaming this thing. 
And there might be people in here that know you and they know your heart. And when you launch out there with chick, the word chick, they were like, okay, is he, he's just being Phil. But there are other people who don't know that. And you're going to shut yourself off of being able to speak truth into them. So watch yourself. So walk in wisdom, Phil. So can I just say, if I hurt you at all yesterday or last week with my tone, please forgive me because I do not have an intention to hurt anybody. In my passion, in my, in my zeal, in my emotions, if I hurt you in the things I said, I, I, I sincerely apologize and ask for your forgiveness because that is not the intent. And don't you think, okay, because we're... I, re- I run the risk sometimes of setting an example before you that, and maybe you're gonna take my tone and take it out into the community and use that tone with the people in the community, which would be a horrible mistake. So walk in wisdom, okay? And I'm gonna do a better job. I'm gonna work really hard at, at laying off the snarky sarcasm and names and things like that, okay? Have I said enough? We can't, hear me now, we can't avoid the culture wars. We can't. It's coming at us. But the tone of our conversation is critical. We have got to walk in wisdom as we deal with people in our world who are confused and darkened. You know that even just saying that to a confused, darkened person, a person outside of Christ, is is offensive. I wouldn't go, I don't start my conversation with my unsaved friends out there or the people that are actually living in darkness and doing wrong things by saying, you know you're confused and in the dark. (laughs) That's not how you do it. You've got to walk in wisdom and tone matters. We can be angry, the scripture says, and yet not sin. We can speak up for the truth and stand up for the truth without getting caught up in some kind of silly argument or into an escalating conflict with unbelievers. Part of wisdom is understanding who we are dealing with, and I want you to hear this loud and clear. These people are hopelessly confused, Paul says. Their minds are full of darkness, and you can't say this to their face, but the true reality is Jesus said, listen, don't be surprised by the things that they're doing. And so I want to say to you, don't be surprised by the darkness getting darker. Don't be surprised at the increase of crime and lawlessness in the world. Jesus said they're just doing the will of their father, the devil. You know that there are only two people, kinds of people in the world, those who have been redeemed and reborn and possess the Holy Spirit of God and those who are still dead in their trespasses and sins following the ways of darkness and are confused and the scripture says that Satan is continuing to blind their eyes and stop their ears from the truth. In fact, the Bible says it's clear that the things of God are foolishness to those who do not believe. In fact, the things of righteousness, the things that excite us as believers are like a stinking stench in their nose. For those who are dying. But for those who are alive in Christ, things of righteousness are a sweet aroma. And so don't don't freak out over what's happening in the world. They are doing the will of their father, the devil. Don't go out and say that to people. But that's truth. And so we should, as we walk in wisdom and as we deal with the people in the world, understand that we're not battling against flesh and blood, even though we're dealing with flesh and blood, and Satan and the spiritual forces has to use flesh and blood in order to get his will accomplished on the earth. We're not battling against the people, we're battling against the spiritual forces. 
And we need to deal with people with a heart of compassion and a heart of love and a desperate concern for them that they need Jesus and they need to be reborn. So we need to ask God for wisdom. And he says when we ask for it, he'll give it to us in abundance. We need to ask for wisdom and we need to pray for discernment. And I have nine minutes to finish this. And I'm going to. Here's the third thing. The third thing is be strong and courageous. Hey, church. Hey, church, listen. Be strong and courageous and do not walk in fear in the middle of all that is going on. That is what Jesus wants you to know. Let's go back to Matthew 16, 10, 16 again, okay? <laughs> that verse again, Phil? Yes, let's go back to that verse. Jesus said, look, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Is he trying to discourage us or is he trying to encourage us? Go home and figure that one out. I am sending you into the realm of the wolves. He knew that his disciples in that day, and he knew that we, as his present-day disciples, were gonna go out into a world of hatred, a world of rejection, and a world of persecution that we're going to get from a God-hating world. You remember that, Jesus said. They hated me, and so they're going to hate you. But listen to me. Hear me. Wolves in the wild... Do what comes natural to them. What do wolves do? They kill sheep. The world is going to make regular raids on the church of Jesus Christ, just like wolves make regular raids on flocks of sheep. Don't be surprised. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. Paul said, ravenous wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. 68-year-old shooters are going to walk into your church and they're going to pretend that they're one of you and they're going to sit in the worship service and then they're going to devour you. Jesus said, false prophets will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are vicious wolves. Listen to me. It is in the very nature of wolves to attack, to mutilate, and devour sheep. And what Jesus is saying is this. Hear it loud and clear, church. If you follow me, you're going to pay a price. It's foolish to think that you're gonna come to Jesus and everything's going to be peaches and roses. It's quite the opposite. Because we are in a war for the liberation of the souls of men. And when you're in battle, and when you're in a war, things get ugly. I read about this battle in 1849, the siege of Rome. During that siege, the Italian general, Giuseppe Garibaldi, said this to his men. Men, all our efforts against superior forces have been unavailing. I have nothing to offer you but hunger, thirst, forced marches, battle, hardship, and death. But I call on all who love their country to join with me. Kind of sounds like I'm sending you in as sheep among wolves. 
1940. Winston Churchill picked up on that when he was addressing the Allies when they were forced to evacuate Dunkirk, and this is what he said to them. All I can offer you is blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. And what Jesus is saying to us is what these leaders were saying to their men. It may look hopeless. It may seem hopeless. But I call on your love for the kingdom, for my kingdom, Jesus says. I call on your love for me to take up your cross and to follow me. We have before us, my friends, in Jesus Christ, an ordeal of the most grievous kind. Rise up, be bold, be courageous, and be without fear in the face of your enemies. That's what a good, loving leader will tell his people. He will tell them the truth. He will tell those who are following him the truth about their circumstance, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's telling us the truth about the darkness of the world. It's not gonna be a cakewalk, Paul says. If you desire to live godly lives in this world, you will suffer persecution. That's what Paul said. I actually believe, my friends, that it is a kindness that Jesus offers up when he tells us the truth about serving him. When he told us that the world will hate you because you are part of me. He doesn't send us out without the warning and reality of what we're going to experience about the demands and the dangers of discipleship. He says, in this world you will have trouble. Can you quote the rest of it? But take heart. If you have a love for me and you have a love for my kingdom, it's gonna be hard. If you wanna follow me, it's gonna be hard. But take heart, my friends. I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and I have overcome the world. And you're part of the system I'm in. You're part of my kingdom. You're my child. And though you're going to suffer, and though it's gonna be hard, you don't have to despair. You can walk with your head up, and you can walk in boldness, and you can walk courageously, and you can walk without fear. You can be strong and courageous, Deuteronomy 31.6, and do not be afraid, and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God, it is he who goes with you. Another translation says, it is he who personally goes out ahead of you, and he will never leave you nor abandon you. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. Hear me now, true Christianity, I mean the, time, the kind that Paul and Peter and thousands in the early church in Jerusalem, our brothers and sisters practiced, it isn't a religion, it is a relationship, but it isn't a discipleship for wimps. And I'm not being sarcastic. Can I show you something that a pastor wrote me this week, in response to my sermon this week. <laughs> I can't wait to show this to you. In Acts chapter four, when the early Christians faced all the evil in their culture, okay, so they're brand new Christians in Jerusalem. They have a brand new life. They are now living the light of Christ. And they were hit with persecution from the culture and from the religious system of the Jews, so they got hit on two fronts. The Roman front, who hated Christians, killed their leader, Jesus, and the religious front, 
who hated Christians and killed their leader, Jesus. But look at what they prayed. So they get together, and they're being persecuted, and look what Acts 4.29 says that they prayed. Oh, Lord, hear their threats and wipe them out. That's what I would have prayed. <laughs> oh, Lord, hear their threats and help us as we run for the hills. Mm -mm. Hear the words of the early church suffering persecution. Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. And then they said, stretch out your hand with healing power and may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What the church prayed for in those days is they tried to walk out their faith under persecution and in a darkening world was for boldness to preach the word and for God to perform miracles as a result. That's what we need. Christians who will stand boldly and courageously and without fear. True Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. It is for the passionate and the ones with the courage to say, I believe God and I will dedicate my every waking hour to his purposes no matter what the cost. But we do it, and I close with this, as we imitate Jesus. This is the most important part. We imitate Jesus who was holy and blameless and unstained by sin. We imitate Jesus who demonstrated love for his enemies. Do you remember? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. We imitate Jesus who while being insulted, did not retaliate. We imitate Jesus that when he suffered, he didn't threaten to get even. But the scripture says that he kept entrusting himself to the one, his father, who is the righteous judge of all things, God in heaven. Paul writes to us in Ephesians 4, and tells us how to imitate Jesus when he says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, here it is, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In Colossians 3, he speaks further into this when he says to us, Clothe yourselves, hear these words, with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Hmm. What he's talking about is how we deal with the people in the darkness. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love. It takes wisdom and discernment to know how to balance the righteous indignation that is justified for the evil happening in the world and at the same time have a love in your heart for the people who are the instruments of unrighteousness. 
and to be able to see their need for a savior. Cancel culture is all about judgment, right? And accusation and punishment. The goal of those who are doing the canceling in our culture is to broadcast the sins of their enemies to the whole world and discredit you for the rest of your life. Forever condemned for whatever social, cultural, political, or religious sins that you have committed. I'd like to cancel all that, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd like to cancel all the smugness. I'd like to cancel all the self-centeredness in the world. I'd like to cancel all the hatred and all the division. I'd like to cancel all the crime and violence and increased lawlessness. I'd like to cancel it all, and I would if I could. But it's not my job. That is not our job as Christians to cancel everything that's happening in the world. Someday really soon, the Bible says that Jesus will come and he'll make all that is wrong in this world right. He'll make all things new again. But until then, you and I need to embrace, hear me in these words, to embrace, promote, and proclaim a Colossians 2.13 form of canceling I want to end with. In fact, stand with me as I read this. Paul says, you were dead because of your sins. We all agree, right? Then God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all our sins. And here it is. Praise the Lord. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Praise the Lord. Because without Jesus canceling that debt for us, we would all be lost. We would all be confused. We would all be darkened in our minds and in our hearts. We would all be the instruments of unrighteousness in this world and we would all be dead in our sins going to a Christless eternity. In fact, I want you to hear me if you don't know the Lord, if you're here in the room and you don't know the Lord or you're online with us wherever you are and you realize right now you do not know Jesus. The awesome hope of the gospel is that Jesus will forgive your sins and he will cancel your debt. The debt, the wages of sin is death. What we earn for our sin is death. But Jesus Christ made a way for you to conquer that. And he gives you eternal life in him if you confess your sin. And if you will confess your sin and repent of your sin, he will forgive you of your sin and cancel your debt. There's a canceling we can all embrace and promote. We need to go out with that on our lips. The hope of the cancellation of sin and debt. We've been called to this. We've been commissioned to counter the woke cancel culture of our day with the power of the gospel, which will never be canceled, never be dismissed, and never be annulled. And you and I can walk confidently with our heads up out of this place today, 
knowing with all our hearts that nothing and no one can ever cancel the one who canceled our sins. He is the one that we serve. And he is the one who empowers us to live in this world of darkness. Father, I pray that you'll give us strength and help. I ask, Lord, for wisdom. I ask for the wisdom to walk in the light as you are in the light and to walk the light out in a way that attracts people. That you'll help us become experts at wielding the word of truth. When we're talking to our unsaved people in our world out there, that we will do it with tenderness and graciousness and hope and love for them as people that you created and help them see the truth as we expose their darkness. Give us favor, Lord, with the unsaved in our world so that we can shine the light effectively and efficiently into their hearts. I pray that you'll release those who have been bound, who are being bound by their sin and the hold of Satan, that you'll release the hold he has on them and help them hear the message that we have, the way that we heard your message, and visit our friends out there who do not know you with the gospel and open their ears, open their eyes, and open their hearts to the truth to receive. And that, Lord, I pray that we would see a harvest of souls. We pray for boldness like those early Christians in the book of Acts. And we pray for mighty signs and miraculous signs and wonders that you will perform in bringing the gospel of truth to bear in the hearts of darkened minds and opening their hearts. And that you'll use us miraculously to bring people to salvation. I pray that that will be strong in our hearts as we go from this place. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you go into our world with the gospel.